0: Good morning everyone. Good morning. Happy New Year. This is the time of year that um, we reflect on the past and make plans for the future, uh, including New Year's resolutions. I've never really been good at those, but um, I'm thinking, you know, God calls us to be resolute in things and thinking of what I should be resolving for this year. Apparently, 80% of New Year's resolutions are given up by February. <laughs> but if you can keep going until sometime in March, about 65 days or something like that, that's the average time to form a new habit. So don't give up, um, keep going. And people have been making and breaking New Year's resolutions all of history. And searching on the internet, I found that resolutions were really popular in the 1700s. Let's see if I got this one, yeah. Um, These are a couple of resolutions attributed to Jonathan Edwards from the 1700s. Resolution 1, I will live for God, and Resolution 2, if no one else does, I still will. Those seem like pretty good resolutions for our day today. Well, Jonathan Edwards liked resolutions so much he wrote 70 of them by the time he was 20. He actually didn't write these two, apparently. That's just on the internet. But I think they're somewhat of a paraphrase that someone's done. And they're still pretty good. Um, but he did write an amazing introduction to his 70 resolutions, which I did find. And this is my paraphrase to his introduction. He humbly recognizes he was unable to do anything without God's help. He openly asked for God's grace to keep his resolutions... And he willingly submitted his plans and resolutions to God. Now, those three words that I've highlighted there, um, humble, open, and willing, are keys to making good resolutions before God. We shouldn't really be afraid of making resolutions. All through the Bible, we're encouraged to submit our lives and commit our ways to God. The first three letters of these words spell how, which is a really handy memory tool which I've recently learned from Evelyn, actually. The first letter of each word spells how. Um, When we come to resolutions, the most common questions we wrestle with often begin with how. How do I change? How do I trust? How do I live for God? And the focus of the answer is not I, but God to be humble, open, and willing before God for his power to change us. In our psalm today, we will see David wrestling and confessing his sins and resolving to live differently. He recognized that he's a sinner from birth, and his resolution is to trust in God. In Romans 7, Paul said something very much the same. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, Evil is right there with me, for in my inner being I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Paul's answer to this problem is Jesus. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death that is subject to death? Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. The solution is the same for everyone. Faith in the power of Jesus to save us from our sin nature and restore us to a right relationship with God. Let's pray that God will help us learn well from this psalm how we can make good resolutions. Father God, please help us to know our hearts and to know your grace for our lives so that we can honestly confess our failings to you and receive your forgiveness and cleansing so that we can make and keep good resolutions for our lives. Help us to learn from the example of David and rejoice that you are a loving Father that answers our prayers. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. The reason I like Psalm 51 so much is that it reflects how we can all come before God and be changed. It's a great template for us to humbly confess our sins, openly ask God to change our hearts, and be willing to live as God wants us to in this new year. There's an old Scottish proverb that says, confession is good for the soul. And that's where Psalm 51 actually starts. Psalm 51 shows the heartfelt honesty of David in confessing his sins and his hope in God for mercy to create in him a pure heart. This confession not only deals with David's outward sin, but the root of his sin in his heart. He asked God to give him a clean heart and a willing spirit. As we read there, as David read for us, the heading in the Bible um, says, A Psalm of David, where the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So the background of our psalm is explained in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. And if you have your Bible there or your Bible app, um, you might want to open up to 2 Samuel 11, reading from starting in verse 1. from verse 1. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Job out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, Isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. She had purified herself from her uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. As the story unfolds, David arranged for her husband to come back from the war to try and cover up for the pregnancy. But Uriah wouldn't play along because he felt it was wrong to spend time with his wife rather while his comrades were in battle. So David sent him back to the war and had him put in the front lines so that he would be killed. And that's what happened. Continuing down in verse 26, when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house. And she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. That's a big understatement. (laughs) The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for the lamb four times over, because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. That was pretty shocking, but David got found out, because God knows everything. Things went downhill from there. The child was going to die, and God foreshadows the very sad events to occur in David's family, including rape, murder, and treason. David had a wandering eye, which led to coveting, adultery, lying, and murder. Half of the Ten Commandments, all in one go. The start of it all was lust. That is how David started. Jesus said that if you look at a woman lustfully, you have already committed adultery in your heart. We don't have to end up having somebody killed, just a wandering eye, to sin against God because what God cares about is our heart. Our purpose today is not to focus on how David sinned but to learn from him how he confessed his sin in a deeply humble, open way and was willing for God to change his heart. The real problem was in his heart and I think we can all relate to how our hearts wander putting our wants ahead of God's the love for God. I've heard people say that David shouldn't be hanging around in Jerusalem, looking over the roofs, and maybe that's true. It makes sense not to hang around temptation, but the real problem was in the heart, and God used these circumstances to shine a light on what was in David's heart and to allow him to change. So turn back with me to Psalm 51, where we see that, to David's credit, he recognized how horrendous his sin against God was. He blamed no one but himself. He recognized the depth of his sin and prayed for a deep work in his heart. Psalm 51 has five parts. Verses one and two are a plea for forgiveness. Verses three to six are David's confession. Seven to 12 are a prayer for moral cleanliness. 13 to 17 are a promise of renewed service. And the psalm ends looking outward to the nation who David is meant to serve and that God would be glorified. In verse 1, David gets straight to the point. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. David knew he had sinned horribly and that God punishes sin. But David also knew that forgiveness was available based on God's covenant love. As we saw in Romans 3, verses 25 and 26, this forgiveness is because of what Jesus did on the cross. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Nathan, the prophet, had said that God had taken away David's sin. David's sin was left unpunished, however, until Jesus. On the cross, Jesus died for David's sin and for our sin, for sins past, present, and future. So just like David, we can have our sins dealt with by Jesus if we respond in humility, openness, and willingness like David did. In verse 2, David says, Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin." He doesn't just ask for forgiveness, but that his sin be blotted out, washed away, and that he would be cleaned. You can really feel his pain and remorse as his sin plays over in his mind. In verse 3, he says, I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. In verse 4, David says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. David realized what every believer seeking forgiveness must know, that even though he had terribly wronged Bathsheba and Uriah and their families, his ultimate crime was against God and His holy law. David goes on to say, You are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. David humbly accepts God's right to judge. Unlike Adam and Eve, who blamed the serpent, each other, and even God— David doesn't blame his circumstances or somebody else. David accepts his guilt. In verse 5, David says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. We are born in sin because of Adam's sin. David recognizes this and doesn't blame God. He accepts the truth that as Adam's descendant, we suffer from the curse of sin. The source of David's sin was a fallen, sinful disposition a sinful nature that we all have. The adultery, the lying, and the murder were all just symptoms of a larger, deeper problem. David was evil at his core, and he'd been that wise since birth, even before birth. In modern terminology, we could say that David had an addiction problem, and specifically to sexual sin. We may not have the same addiction as David, but we're all addicted to sin, because we all have a sin nature. In verse 6, David admits that he should have known better. Yet you desire faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. David had been blessed by God and knew God, and as we read in lots of his psalms, he had a wonderful relationship with God, but even that didn't save him from sin. Verse 7, Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. The Old Testament priests used a leafy plant called hyssop. They would sprinkle blood or water on a person, indicating that they had been ceremonially cleansed. Like David, we need to be cleaned by the blood of Jesus. Jesus' death not only took away our sin, but it also gave us his righteousness so that God could see us made pure in Jesus. Moving on to verse 8, David says, Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Imagine the sound of bones crushing. That's awful. But David is looking to the joy and gladness that God could bring. David's sin had infected his whole body, and the feeling he reflects is overwhelming. In verse 9, David is ashamed for God to see his sin, and he repeats his request for his sin to be blotted out and taken away. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Verse 10 and 11 is really the center of, the, of the, the psalm. It's a beautiful, amazing prayer. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. That shows us really where the problem lies, isn't it? It's in the heart And he needs the Holy Spirit to change his heart. In the heart is where the Holy Spirit is grieved by our sin. We know from the New Testament that God would not take the Holy Spirit from us, as the Holy Spirit is the deposit guaranteeing our salvation, as promised by Jesus. The Holy Spirit lives in us and changes us to be like Jesus, and He will never leave us or forsake us. Philippians 1 6 says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So how do we understand what David was saying? Well, we can grieve the Holy Spirit so that what the Holy Spirit can do in us is limited or damaged. David wants to know a fullness of the Holy Spirit working in him, and we should pray for the same thing. Verses 13 to 17 is David's New Year's resolution. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. And further on in verses 18 and 19, David prays for his nation as we would pray for God's church. Looking at verses 16 and 17 reveals a great truth. What God is looking for is change on the inside. Jesus said that if you look at a woman lustfully, you have already committed adultery in your heart. That was David, and David recognized that what God wants is a changed heart, a broken and contrite heart. Just fixing the outside wasn't going to solve his addiction to lust in his heart, a problem he passed on to his son Solomon, who had hundreds of wives. We need his heart to be changed. We may not have an addiction to sex like David, but we all have an addiction to sin, whether it is legal or not. David's answer to the problem of a heart addicted to sin was to restore a relationship of humility, openness, and willingness with God. Verse 17 reflects on the need for humility. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God, you will not despise. David's openness and honesty are reflected through the whole psalm. In verse 4 he says, against you I have sinned. And in verse 12, he prays for a willing spirit. And over all of this is the aim of joy. Joy because he knows the greatness and goodness of God. Verse 8 says, Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. And not only David's joy, but God's joy in verse 19. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous. So as we think about New Year's resolutions... Let us come humbly before God with open, honest, and willing hearts and consider well what God would have for us this year. Like David, we need the Holy Spirit to change our hearts, to remove our addiction to sin, to change us into into Christ's likeness. So like David, let us be humble, open, and willing to his glorious work in our lives. To finish, I have another Jonathan Edwards quote. The desire of the saints, however earnest, are humble desires. Their hope is a humble hope, and their joy, even when it is unspeakable and full of glory, is a humble, broken-hearted joy. Please pray with me that we would have humble, broken-hearted joy. Lord, we repent of our sinfulness, save us from our wandering hearts and eyes, create in us clean hearts, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within us. Help us to have broken and contrite hearts before you and restore us unto the joy of your salvation. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.